0: Uh, we mentioned giving, and so I just want to uh, kind of be transparent with you. Uh, I've been commissioned by our trustees, Steve Beaverstein, Michael Talon, Jesse Lattell, and, and Chris Doherty to, to say, hey, well, let me tell you a little bit about where we're at financially. We normally do this in core meetings, but honestly, core meetings aren't very well attended, and this is kind of crucial information. So it's been obvious over the last year we've kind of lost some people here, but we've also seen lots of new faces rise up in the area. And, and to, to, to take account for that, we've slashed our budget this year. We slashed it by $100,000 just to, to take uh, note of what might happen. We've lost people. We've lost givers. We've lost income. Uh, and so we've tried to manage it as a staff. Our staff is doing a great job. Our spending is low. The problem that we're having right now is, is the budget that we have for where we will be at giving it's not there. So we're trailing where we expected to be in giving by about $45,000 so far this year. Are we concerned about that? Sure, we're concerned about it. Are we worried? No, we're not worried about it. God is faithful. He's been faithful to us in this time. He's going to be faithful to us in the future. And so simply, directly, just going to come to you today. I know that any time that we talk about finances, it can be awkward, but it's not awkward. This is a natural conversation. The Lord, out of the delight of our hearts, the love, we, we take care of the church. He, he gives us all we have, and so we give back to Him. And, and so if you find this to be your church home, we're just imploring you to say, hey, would you consider starting to tithe? The Bible talks about 10%. Um, do what you can. If you are here and you are tithing, then uh, we just pray that you would consider how, how the Lord might want you to increase that if he has you to increase that. But we want to do lots of things in this church. We can't do those things if financial, our financial picture is not good. And we're not going to do those things because we're good stewards. We will never go in debt here to try to do the things that we want to do. We will manage the the money that the Lord gives us as well as we can, as good stewards as we can. And so I just want to bring that to you today and just trust that you're going to take that and do that with whatever it is appropriate for you. Uh, So let's just take a moment and pray for that, and then we'll jump into our service today. Father, we just come before you today. Uh, It is finances are tough, Lord. But will you help us to recognize that, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you own it all. Help us to be joyful givers, that we would give back to you what is you, uh, to your, yours, Lord, that you would just uh, compel us to, to get our finances in order, that we might bless your name, Lord, that we might give back to you. And so whatever that is, Lord, will you move in our hearts, will you make it aware to us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, so how many of you remember getting your first speeding ticket? Anybody remember that moment? It has, now has, anybody, has anybody been in here and, and drove for years and never been pulled over? Has anybody? You've never been pulled over. Wow. Good for you. Uh, I am a rule follower, uh, so I remember my first time being pulled over. Many people think that like, now Steve's a little crazy. There's no way he's a rule follower. I'm a rule follower. Like, you know my problems with my wife bringing in candy that she bought from other places into movie th- theaters. Like, I'm a rule follower. And so I remember uh, early in, in my driving career, I was in Muncie, I was driving home from a late event. It was midnight, and I had made uh, a CD. I had ripped music off of a CD, and I burned a mixtape of CD. Nobody knows what that is anymore, right? <laughs> And so I just had made all this Jesus music on a little, my own little creation, a CD. And I'm just, I'm worshiping God, driving along. And then all of a sudden, boo, the blue lights come on my, and I freaked out. Like I sweat instantly. And my hands went, I put, my hands were here. I'm not lying to you. My hands went up here. Like I don't, I don't want to be a threat. I'm going to make sure that she understands this lady that's coming up here, that I'm no threat to her. And so she walks up and and I greet her, and, and she does, hey, you're going this fast. Why are you going fast? And I just laid it out, like, in my heart. I was just, I'm going to be honest with her. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try to make anything up. Just going to be honest. And so I just, I just say, hey, um, uh, I was speeding because I was just singing to Jesus, and uh, I lost track of my speed. And my expectation was this, that is that she was just going to go, wow. <laughs> you know what? Thank you so much for being honest. I'm out here every day and I hear all these weird stories from people making up why they're, they're, they're speeding. It's so refreshing to hear that you were singing to Jesus and you forgot your speed. You know what? You know what? Forget about it. Just get out of here. Get out of here. You're honest with me. Did not go that way, okay? <laughs> I had the wrong expectation. I got a fine for $150, which to me was a lot of money at that time. But who was wrong? I was wrong. I was wrong. I made the infraction. I committed the the infraction. And so, what did I have to do in that speeding ticket to make that violation right? I had to pay the fine. And when I paid the fine, was that ticket forgiven? Yes, it was forgiven. That paid the debt. Now, what if somebody came to me and said, hey, you know what, Steve? The city of Muncie doesn't seem like it's hurting for cash, which I would have not have believed in that moment. It's not hurting for cash. Uh, You know, you don't even pay that. They're not going to know. They're not going to care. You're okay. Would that have made the ticket right? No, of course not. I've just justified it in myself that everything's okay. Is that ticket still on my record? Yes. Is that ticket very real? Does it need to be paid for? Yes. It has not been made right. What if somebody came to me and said, you know what, Steve, you go 19 over. You almost at 20, that's a big deal. You know what you should do? I know you paid that fine, but what you need to do is go in 20 hours of community service. Show them that you're really sorry, that you really made a mistake and you're really remorseful about it. Did that 20 hours make that ticket any more right? No, it didn't. What made the ticket right? Paying the fine paying the fine. When I paid the fine, the debt was forgiven. And so in your sin, when you, in your sin, there is a debt to be paid. There's a debt to be paid, and it is paid by what Christ has done on the cross. His grace to you in your faith, through your faith in Christ, has paid the debt for you. If somebody wants to come and tell you that you need to do something else to earn your salvation, that's perverse. If somebody else wants to say, you need to do this that's perverse. Why? Because it takes your eyes off of what paid the debt. Jesus paid the debt. He made you right. Nothing else can make you right. And, and we're distractive people by, be, like, by, by just person. Like yesterday, I walked in my garage to get my drill. I left with a level and a bag of screws. I don't know what's going on. We are just distracted. And in this area of salvation, if we don't keep our eyes on what set us right, what forgave the debt, We walk into a reality that is not where God wants us to be. We get confused on the gospel, and we rob it of the freedom. And so in your wandering away from God, understand this. It is grace through faith in Christ that forgives your debt. Nothing else, nothing, 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 nothing else ever will make it right. Nothing will make it right. Christ has obeyed the law perfectly. He has a perfect obedience to the law. He dies on the cross. He nails your sins to the cross and he's raised from the dead and he defeats sin and death forever. That's what paid your debt. Nothing else gets in front of that. Now, is that to say that we should not be obedient to the Father to show gratitude for the debt that he paid for us? Of course not. We walk in obedience to the Father out of the delight of our hearts for what he has done for us. But when somebody says that you need to do this as well, That's where people like Paul are going to have such a huge contention. That's where people who believe in the new covenant are are just going to have huge contention. It's not by works that we're saved. It is by grace. Because as soon as you start doing that, as soon as you start focusing on works as a means to show, to prove yourself to be righteous, to to make yourself look right, you take your eyes off what settled the debt for you. You perverse it. Grace was given to you for your disobedience in faith through Christ and His finishing worth work on the cross made it right not your extra works not your self-justification by your faith in what he has done in your trust in what he has done and your trust that he's going to do it again he's going to be faithful in your life again and so when somebody says do this as well it belittles the gospel it takes your attention away from the gospel and it takes the glory away from God listen friends God loves you but he's not about your glory he's about his glory don't rob his glory he made you right he set you free and so the correlation between the works of the law and faith is not that we shouldn't be doing works. Works being that those things that we do for God because we love Him. Those things that He asks us to do, to follow His decrees, His commands, and His laws. The difference is that those works are produced from our faith in the One who paid our debt. The law reveals our debt. It reveals our sin, our violations that separate us from God. Christ fulfills that debt. Listen to what he has to say in his time on earth. This is on the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, we don't use that enough in our language anymore, iota, not a dot, not a jot, not a tittle, as it would say in other parts of of Scripture, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now here's a therefore. We pay attention to this. Therefore, therefore, whoever relaxes on one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what Christ hints at here is these 613 that we've talked about in weeks previous, these commandments that God has given to us. He did not come here. Christ did not come here to abolish them. He came here to fulfill them. There are people in this time with Jesus that believe that he's going around saying that he's going to destroy the laws, that he's going to reject them wholeheartedly. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying, no, in fact, I'm here to complete them. Because what you don't understand, Pharisee, is the Old Testament points to me. All of the laws, all of the scripture, all of the prophets point to me. I am the substance of the shadow that they spoke to. And so I'm going to fulfill them, friend. I'm not rejecting them because they show right standing in front of God. They're concerned about this, and Jesus is going to speak, no. And because those laws were not accomplished, because they were not fulfilled, Jesus says, teach them, obey them. Hold people accountable to them. It's good for you. Why? Because it creates right standing in front of God. But that therefore connects to two untils. Until what? Heavens and earth pass away. That hasn't happened. We're still here. Or until it is accomplished. All of it. When Christ died on the cross, what did he say? His final words It is finished. And he meant it. It is done, finished. I've done for you what you can. I've accomplished all of this. And what Jesus is going to do next is beautiful. The imagery in scripture is amazing. Where is Jesus when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount? He's on a mountain. Where was Moses when he gave the Ten Commandments? He was on a mountain. This is a new covenant that Jesus is bringing to us. He says that if you want to have heaven, you must attain a righteousness that is more than the Pharisees and the scribes. Do you know how impossible that would be to them in that day to understand? The Pharisees and the scribes are the most holy, righteous people that one could think of in that time. They were experts in the law. They followed it. And Jesus says that if you're not more righteous than them, you cannot be in heaven. That's a weight. And why does he put that weight there? Because he wants you to understand you can't earn it through effort. He goes on to say this, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. I say what? If you have anger in your heart, you you are guilty of murder. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, If you look at a woman lustfully, you have have committed adultery. What is Jesus after? He's after your heart. He's after your heart. He's not about the letter of the law. He wants to pursue your heart. Because rule following never transforms your heart. Transformation doesn't work from external to internal. It has to come from internal to external God in the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel, he says, I don't see the way that man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus is dealing with the core of the issue our busted and broken hearts. It's this beautiful imagery of this new covenant that is established here by Jesus. In Ezekiel last week, we said that the Messiah was going to come and give us a new spirit. He's going to remove the heart of stone, and that stone is a beautiful imagery. Heart of stone, the written law. What were the laws written on? Stone. And what is he going to replace it with? A heart of flesh, the Holy Spirit, who's going to indwell with those who believe in Christ. We spoke, we sung a song, Rock of Ages, hide myself in thee. We hide ourselves in Christ, the heart of flesh. Jesus is who our righteousness is is, is from. God sees Jesus in us. And so he's going to write the laws on our hearts so that we would delight in doing them them for what God has done for us. He writes them on our hearts, a heart of flesh. He indwells with us. And so as believers, as Christians, we reject any idea, any notion that there's anything else required outside of grace through faith in Christ that was given to us to prove us in right standing in front of God. Nothing More for our salvation. To say otherwise would pervert the gospel because it directs your attention away from what saves you, the payment of our fine, the sins that God forgave. And so we focus our attention squarely on Jesus and the grace that He gave us. Now, I think what's confusing for us is like we don't have the same affinity for the law that these people in Galatians had, the Judaizers. And so when we talk about the law, you think, well, great, Steve, I don't know when's the last time I had trouble eating shellfish. Uh, nobody in here would have that. that. If you were a Jew at the time, that would be an obligation that you would have uh, for hygiene purposes. Uh, but we don't share the same burden of the law that these, mostly because we're not Jewish. Like, you're, not a, you're not a Jew. What we struggle with uh, is, th- is this idea of works. Uh, if you understand the law creates people's um, affinity to create self-righteousness. And so I follow these things, and so I look really good. I look on the outside like I'm religious. But we still do that in our culture today in this area of works. Like we still want to project this area of self-righteousness without heart transformation. And it, look, it can come in very easy places. Like sometimes we put church attendance down as a work that makes us look holy, but we're not. Uh, a Sunday school, uh, uh, social media, uh, putting pictures of like, my uh, am devotion, here's what I'm doing, I want everybody to see. Not, not that these things are bad things, but like, Are we promoting self-righteousness like these Galatians are with the law, like these Judaizers with the law? Or are we having our hearts healed and transformed by the Holy Spirit, by Christ? And so Paul in Galatians speaks directly against this idea. And I want to note it. I want to read it together here in Galatians 2. Uh, So when you think of the law and these things, think of your works to attain self-righteousness. Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I'm going to pause there. Paul's a Jew. His mission is to the Gentiles. He knows the law. What are you saying? Gentile sinners, they would never have had the law. The Jews are the only one that would have had the law, the understanding of right standing in front of God. So anybody else is a Gentile and they don't know sin because they don't know the standard of God. You and I are Gentiles. We didn't grow. We weren't born into Judaism. We're Gentile sinners transformed by Christ. Thanks for his kingship. He's made us one in him, but we're Gentile sinners. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, what Paul is saying, that works in the laws are totally unacceptable ways to bring salvation since the root of man's fallenness is, 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 is the fallenness of man's own heart. Action is never going to create right standing. The, the issue is your heart. And then he says, but if in our endeavor to justify, be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Uh, Paul is writing back there. There's a verse before this. We reread it last week where, where there's issues that, that the, the Judaizers have with them eating with the Gentiles uh, these, these non-Jews, because they're unclean. Uh, they're putting pressure on Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, saying, you guys have sinned by eating with these unclean. And he says, look, dude, Jesus, when he came, he said, look, there is nothing that is unclean that, but, but what comes out of your heart. He ate with sinners. I'm eating with sinners. Are you going to call Christ a sinner? And then he says, For, but if I'm going to rebuild what I tore down, I, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died through the law, I died to the law so I might live to God." In other words, he says, "The law condemned me. I am a convicted convict." I think I can say that. I am a convicted criminal. I'm guilty, and you know what my punishment is? Execution. As far as the law standard, I am a convicted criminal. but in Christ, all of that condemnation has been satisfied. He took my punishment. And so I was convicted. My punishment was fulfilled in Christ. So you tell me why I want to go back and live under the law? Why do I want to put myself under the legal restraint of the law? I have freedom in Christ. In my baptism, I have been dead. I am dead with Christ and and raised again with Christ. I am not convicted anymore. You think of Jesus when He is with the adulterous woman in John eight. She's caught in adultery. She's guilty, but. Jesus would have been just to stone her to death according to the law. What does he do? Go and sin no more. That is grace. That is grace. We are dead to the ways of legalism. And then he ends by, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live in in, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, I don't want to go back to the law. If I went back to the law, why did Christ die? If you're trying to keep me accountable to this standard, why did Christ die? Like his cross is that scandalous. His grace is that scandalous. I don't need to live under that law anymore. What would have accomplished for me to still live under the law with Christ's death being known by all? We live under grace now in this covenant, not by the law. But listen, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a desire to see you obey His commands. It doesn't mean that. He doesn't have, He has a desire still that you obey His demands in a statute. It's just different. This isn't a free-for-all. I get so frustrated with I think, well-meaning Christian authors and people who just say, like, hey, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Everybody gets in. Good for you. Good gang. Get in there. Uh, That's just frustrating to me. Uh, The Lord has said that the, the way the path of righteousness is not broad. It's narrow. There are people who are perishing because of this idea. It's frustrating to me. God didn't stop being God just because he gave you grace. God didn't stop being holy. God never stopped being just. God never be, stopped being about bringing glory to his name, not yours. God never stopped loving you in a way that he wants to move you. He didn't die so you could feel good about yourself and your crap. He didn't die so you could ravage your body and your soul with the consequences of sin and destruction and come crawling back to him time and time again and never changing. Grace, I need grace, God, but never having any movement. He didn't die for those. That doesn't sound like an image bearer of God, does it? That doesn't sound like somebody who has a new spirit and new flesh in them. It sounds an awful lot like a broken human being who's just trying to justify their own desires and wants and sprinkle some Jesus in to look good. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Do you know how profound of a statement that is from Paul? Paul's the dude. Like, there is nobody in Christendom that can hold a candle to Paul. And there's nobody in. Judaism that can hold a candle to Paul. Like the guy is just nails. He has esteem and influence. But what does he say? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Nothing considered to the world. The grace of God is all that I am. And in his grace to me was not without effect. No, I have worked harder. There's effort than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Grace never, never pacified Paul's effort. Grace emboldened Paul's effort. It had an effect. Grace allows us to miss the standard of God, and instead of receiving the punishment that we are justly deserving, like the law said we should, we can turn away from that sin and pick ourselves up and pursue Him again. Pursue Him again. Again. We get the ability to get up and do it again and again and again. He's taken away the punishment for your disobedience. He provided a, a safety net so that you could move towards Him, not that you can remain the same. That safety net's there, not so you can remain the same. The, the safety net is there so you can look more like the image of God as you grow and mature in Christ. And Christ fulfills the law, and in his fulfillment of the law, he's not oppressive to us. He's not burdensome. He's not overburdened you with what he wants for you. Jesus, Jesus boils the law down to simply two commands, two commands. Jesus speaks about them in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 22, he says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, which is another religious group of the day, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer who, who would be efficient in knowing how to apply the law, this is a scribe, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great, the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law And the prophet. All the law and the prophet are on these two commands. All the commandments have been condensed into two commands love God and love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. That's pretty simple. Love God, love others. How are we doing at that? We had trouble with one law in the garden. We still miss the mark here. Love God is the first command, and it influences the second. The second does not come without the first. And the first is not there if you don't do the second. If you don't love God, then you really don't know how to purely love others. And if you don't love others, then simply you don't know God. He's the essence of love. The most loving thing that we can do for others is to love God more than we love them the most loving thing that we can do is love God more than we love them. For if we love God most, we will always love others best. Always, 100% of the time, guaranteed. Money back guarantee on that. For if we love God most, we will love others better. Why? Because God is love. In its most pure and richest form, God is love. Not, Not your deep, devout treasure for your favorite Netflix movie. His love has action. He earned it. He died for you. Love is defined through verbs with Jesus. Grace through faith does not supersede the law, it fulfills it. It pays the price for our violation because look, condemnation and rule following will never get to the point of the issue. It will never get to the core of the issue. It will never create the right motivation. It doesn't deal with your busted heart. But grace does. Grace does. Grace says that I know that you can't. And I know that you're trying but I'm going to give it to you anyways. Grace says that, you know what? I know you don't deserve it. And honestly, you're never going to deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. That's what grace does for us. Following the law never gives us that. Grace creates the proper motivation. It creates a love for the one who gave us what we could not have. It creates a delight in our heart for what he has done for us. And it propels us into a proper sense of obedience to the Father, that we love Him and we do what He wants. Faith produces obedience because of love. We we love to to do what He loves. Obedience simply by itself never can create saving faith, because it never gets to the core of the issue. So, from out of this, look, we have to think about what does God love? We have to learn what to God love. If I'm going to love everybody, if I'm going to do well in this world, my first priority is to love God well. So what does God love? If He loves me this much, I need to reciprocate this back to Him. We must consume ourselves with what loves God, what God loves, not what you love about God or not what you love that God loves, but what does God Himself love most. And maybe this is a surprise to you, but what God loves the most is his glory. God is for God. That doesn't mean that you're not precious to him. That doesn't mean he's not for you. That does not mean that he's not madly in love with you. He just loves himself. And I know that sounds weird, but you want to read scripture, read scripture and you'll see, for my name's sake, to bless my name, for the glory of my name, to show my power, God is for God. He's not for us always. He's for himself first. You are not the center of God's Values and love. The glory of God is the center of his value and love. You are not the center of his redeeming work. Christ through you is the center of his redeeming work. You are not the treasure of the gospel. God is the treasure of the gospel. We perverse the gospel sometimes with what it means to love God. And so it's not a surprise that we struggle to love others. It's not a surprise that we have great discord amongst God's believers. Because what it means to love God in this day and age it's to love and image of God that gives me better self-esteem, more material goodness, and greater uh, influence on this earth. That love for God first flows out of our love for self, not out of our love for God. And if you have put and built your faith on grace from a God that allows you to remain self-centered, you have not put your faith in the God of the Bible. You have just created your own deity, and it will be a curse for the rest of your life. And honestly, I think this kind of faith plagues us in a Western culture. It plagues us. And so where we want to walk next week is we want to take Galatians, and we want to respectfully contextualize this book uh, in, in trying to understand what we get wrong in our cultures like the Galatians did. The Galatians got it wrong by building up salvation through works of the law. What is it that Paul would write to us today to say, hey, you are missing the mark here? And if if we would look at the equation Jesus plus nothing equals everything, what we're flowing through, why we're doing this series, uh, where where the Galatians fall short is the nothing. They want to add, what? Works of the law. I don't think we have the same struggle. I don't. I think our problem in the equation is Jesus. I think we pervert our understanding of who Jesus was and what faith is. Faith is a trendy word. But listen, faith is more than just I believe that God exists and I believe that he's good. If somebody was going to give you penicillin, medication that would cure you, is it right just to say, you know, I believe penicillin exists and I believe it's good. But does it cure you until you take it? Sometimes we get into believing that faith is just good thoughts about God and that faith and action are on different sides of the coin. But faith and action, friends, are on the same side of the coin because of what Christ has done for us. And we want to walk into that reality next week. And so two questions that I want to leave you with today to discuss on great questions for Mother's Day. Have this at your dinner tonight. What is faith? What does it mean to be faith? Is there a chance that we've made this word kind of weak in our culture. What is faith? And what does it mean to love God? Two questions for you to discuss this week. Um, I hope they're good conversations. I hope that you have a conversation about them. And we're excited about coming back next week and digging into this thought of the faith side of faith versus the law. Let's pray. Father, we just, you are great. And you're mighty, you're holy. You have done for us what we could never do. You have given us a righteousness, a right standing in front of God. And Lord, help us not to minimize that. That's, we're ho-hum about that sometimes, Lord. But we couldn't do that ourselves. So Lord, will you create just a desire, a birth in us, a delight in us for you and your name and what you've done for us. That you would move us to, to have a faith that, that, that just enjoys your presence, that loves you, Lord, that just is content with you wherever that we go. And so God, we just pray that you would just Remove wrong understanding of your word and that you would increase proper doctrine, proper gospel understanding into our lives that we would be empowered in a way that we would walk in the flourishing and the freedom that you promised us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who did for us what we could not. Amen.